Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. And thank you once again, Radio Family, for the great company. The weekend edition of Community Focus continuing here on our Odyssey stations and another great conversation to get underway. Always enjoy your company, Radio Family, and the company of members of our Community Focus family. We have another new individual as we're going to talk about the Congressional Black Caucus Institute and Agents or Advocacy, I should say, and Campaign Training Act, also known as ACT. To kind of give us a little bit of a background information on CBCI for short, the Advocacy and Campaign Training Program, and also to say good morning to our newest member who serves as the Executive Director, Vanessa Grenine-Jones. Vanessa, good morning. Welcome. You are no longer a newbie. I think that's the quickest intro I've ever given to a member of our Community Focus family. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Renee, and thank you. And good morning, family. How are you? Absolutely. We are doing well. I hope you are to really want to thank you for taking the opportunity for really familiarizing, Vanessa, some of us who may not and and some who may be very well aware of what the Congressional Black Caucus Institute and advocacy and campaign training is is all about. So can can you kind of give us a definition what it is when we talk about the two? So, yes, you are not the only one. I find myself having this conversation a lot because we have Congressional Black Caucus as a part of our name. Then people often think that we're just the caucus. But the Congressional Black Caucus Institute was founded to provide political and advocacy training to any individual that was interested in being civically engaged. And it kind of came about because uh, Congressman Benny Thompson from Mississippi and Congressman Jim Clyburn from South Carolina had grown tired of hearing people say they couldn't find quality qualified African-Americans to work on campaigns or to actually run as candidates. So to dispel that myth and rumor, they said, okay, we'll create an institute. And so about two years after its creation, they decided to identify um, individuals in their districts, though the Congressional Black Caucus members themselves actually sponsor the participants of our uh, of our boot camp. Mm-hmm. So let me clarify that. There are two different programs a part of this. So it started with our boot camp. And so um, those individuals come up, they spend uh, a week in D.C., kind of sequestered out in Piney Point, Maryland, um, where they can't do anything else but learn campaign arts. 
So they learn everything from being a door knocker to actually running as a candidate themselves. Okay. And what happened after the creation of that program was the Walton Family Foundation took note of it, said it was a great program, and asked us if we could do an abbreviated form of the program, but also include education policy advocacy. Mm-hmm. And so we created ACT educate advocacy and campaign training to kind of distinguish it from our regular boot camp program that just primarily focuses on campaign training. Thank you. I think you did a phenomenal job in explaining that. Very well done. Now, let me ask you this. How long have you served as in the capacity of executive director? I've been the executive director for five years, um, and uh, it's an interesting job to have. <laughs> um, I've worked off and on for 20 years. Um for the South Carolina State Legislature, for the Texas Legislature, and then mm-hmm. I came to D.C. Um, so I've worked for two uh, members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, I've worked for several law firms, and and then I decided to uh, try and have a normal life because um, <laughs> D.C. politics will burn you out after a while. Um, and then I couldn't handle normal life and decided to come back to the chaos. Um, so I came back to work for the Institute. Um, in addition to these two programs, we also do an annual policy conference in Tunica, Mississippi. Um, most people are familiar with the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation's CBC weekend, as they affectionately call it. Right. Um, it, is our, it is our annual legislative conference. Um, but our program is in Tunica, Mississippi at the casinos, and I always say it's like a mini um, CBC weekend in the South. Right. Um, because we primarily do the same thing. We do uh, three, four days of entertainment and policy sessions. Um, and, of course, during COVID, we haven't been able to do that. Right. But we are trying to figure out ways to still pivot and change, as we had to do with these, um, with the act training. Actually, it was something that we did in New Orleans, Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, Los Angeles, and Denver. Um, but this year, um, because of the importance of keeping this training going, we also had to pivot and adapt to Zoom. So they have, they have been virtual trainings. Absolutely. And the one that we are doing in Greensboro mm-hmm. will also, well, I should say Greensboro. We're doing it for North Carolina as a whole. Right. Will um, also be virtual. And... It, we're really talking about mixing things up a little bit, number one. And and secondly, thank you for bringing that up, because that was going to be one of my other questions that I, I was planning to ask you, Vanessa, in terms of what do you feel are some of the most pressing issues that civic leaders face in North Carolina? Now, before you answer that particular question, I also mm-hmm. wanted to share with our radio family that the Congressional Black Caucus uh, Political Education and Leadership Institute was incorporated back in 2000. It serves as a 501c4 nonprofit nonpartisan social welfare organization. And the primary mission, of course, is to educate today's uh, voters and train tomorrow's leaders, as you also inform, inspire, and ignite many of our communities into action on issues that affect them the most. So I think with with all of us, you know, things are changing every day, every hour, but it seems like we're facing the same issues that our parents faced, our grandparents faced. Right. And it's unfortunate that 
still having the same conversations today mm. that we had in the 50s, the 60s, and even before. Um, and so, I, you know, North Carolina is no different. Um, you're facing issues with voter suppression, voter rights, um, police brutality, you know, nothing's changing. And so uh, with the Institute, we're asking people to demand change. And it feels like we're having this conversation all the time. Right. And it feels like it's happening, nothing is changing. But the last election, I think, proved that things can change. If we're all out there saying the same thing on the same message and asking for the same thing, we just want things to be fair mm-hmm. and, and just. Um, and that's not too much to ask. Um, and I think part of that is understanding that civic engagement is a key component of that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, voting is important. And I, I find myself spending a lot of time talking to people that say voting doesn't change anything. But I think the last election, they thought that it did. And so it, it's energizing and mobilizing people to want to get out and to participate. And so this is part of it. You know, everybody doesn't want to be a candidate, but you, you may want to uh, be a poll watcher or drive people to the polls or knock on doors to get people out there. Um, and all of those roles are important and all of those are key to making things change. And in listening to you say that, Vanessa, it also makes me think, too, and I think you bring up a very valid point in that when we think about the history when we look at just the state of North Carolina alone, particularly for individuals who have either been here most, if not all of their lives, or have lived here for a significant period of time, there is a a lot of history when we talk about North Carolina's community involvement in engaging or persons who want to be engaged in that change. And there's a lot of history tied to this particular area as regards that. And I think it really ties in nicely with asking you this question. What type of North Carolina current or aspiring civic leader is this act training a really good fit for? Anyone who wants to run for public office, uh, work on a campaign, just learn additional skills, you know, as a grassroots advocate. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, part of this is about education policy. And, and this is also key um, for changing things, you know, school boards and how our children are educated mm-hmm. and, you know, who governs that and what's being taught in the schools is important as to, you know, changing things in our society. Um, so, you know, it's everything from your dog catcher, and, you know, to the White House, um, your city council, your county council, your district attorneys, <laughs> your mm-hmm. prosecutors, right. um, all of those are important roles. And anyone interested, you know, you, you may actually be in law school right now um, right. thinking about how you're going to make change. Run for office. This training will help you know what things to do um, and what things not to do. Uh, former Congressman uh, Edric Richmond and I, I, I laughed because I just said this to him last night. And uh-huh. he's like, do you refer to this former Congressman? And I'm like, I'm just messing with him. But he's a senior <laughs> advisor in the White House. Mm-hmm. But he was often fond of saying you can't govern if you can't win. And then I added to that, and you can't win if you don't run. Um, so it's all about getting involved and participating. And you never know what change you can bring about. And speaking of which, and I think that that really does transition nicely into asking, where did your involvement spring from? Did it come from a particular individual or just what you were observing when you were going to, say, through law school, when you got your Juris Doctorate? From, from Southern University Law Center, and then you went on to get your... Now, what is what is LLM? Now, you're going to have to break that down for, for ordinary folk like me. 
So the LLM is a specialty in law after you receive your law degree. Okay. And so mine is in international law because prior to deciding to do any of this, I did foreign policy for a member of Congress work there. Um, So I thought, you know, I would eventually go back into doing something in international law. And the Institute actually does have another component that I'm working on. So that fits in. Um, But I wanted to caveat, I didn't go to law school until I was 40. (laughs) I kind of played around with the idea along the way. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. (laughs) But what actually happened is somewhere, uh, I want to say it was probably middle school, uh, because I'm thinking it was maybe eighth grade civics. uh, one of my teachers was playing a clip from Barbara Jordan's speech in 76. Wow. And she said, uh, I thought her speech was powerful, but I, I think the thing that stuck with me, she said, we find ourselves in a quandary about our present. Mm-hmm. And that just stuck with me, that we are always, you know, not knowing what to do. How do we move forward? How do we change these conditions? We don't ever have a moment where everything seems to be okay. Yeah. And so this was always going to be something that we're going to have to work at. Mm -hmm. And so that was what stuck with me the most. And I said, oh, so I need to be involved in politics. Mm -hmm. I need to be a lawyer to effectuate change. And so, you know, after running from it and trying not to commit to studying for that long period of time, I I was like, I'm not going to do it. I just can't. I can't do it. (laughs) So um, I finally committed to it. I did it. Um, That is the best thing that I think I have ever done. Um, And not because I ever wanted wanted to practice law, but right. because I I wanted to have that as a base. It, law school changes the way you think about things and the way you view things. Mm-hmm. And so um, I find myself talking to lots of students now about, you know, I don't want to practice law, but I want a law degree. Do you think it's beneficial? Right. I will always say yes. Mm-hmm. I will always say it. And you know, that's, that's interesting, Vanessa. A couple of things. Uh, number one, <laughs> you probably, because our, our, our community focus and just our radio family in, in general really runs the gamut when, when we talk about age. And I'm thinking you probably had a few folk tuning in like, what is a civics class? <laughs> number one. Because that's taking it back. You old school like me, my dear. I love it. I love it. And then, and then when when you were saying, you know, as as far as going back to the eighth grade, and then on top of that, really, th- th- this is it's what got me. You said you didn't get your law degree until you were forty. Yeah, well, yeah, I was forty when I decided to go when I went back to law. When you went school, back, when I started, okay. okay, yes, yes. But so see I that knew after grad, I wanted to do it, and I said, right. yeah, I know. Um, get other things to do and then I thought about it in my 30s and I'm like yeah just you know that whole focusing for three years and not having mm-hmm. a life right um, right and it's like you know that's not true and then when I got there at 40 I was like I can do this right and then I realized they're telling the truth you don't have a life that's all you can do <laughs> But you know what, Absolutely. Vanessa, too, that, that, that makes me think that when most of us, when we do make a decision to do something and, and we stick with it, because most of us, when we get into like our 30s, we're thinking we're pretty much done with perhaps any f- furthering of our education, so to speak. We may be as parents supporting our kids who are going to school, but we never, I think most times, think about well, what's the possibility of me going back and getting a degree and and whatever it is that we had a desire to do when we were undergrads or if we went on to graduate work? 
But because life always has us at times going not necessarily in the direction that we may have mapped out in our minds. And so it kind of changes along the way. That may have been the case for you, you know, in starting a family, getting married. But then it was always in the back of your mind. And like you said, you went back and you did it. I did. It was just, just something always nagging and tugging at me. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I've, I've just got to do it. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm, I'm <laughs> But you're going to do it. it. You're going to do it. I have so uh, enjoyed getting to know you, Vanessa, and, and really the same with, with all of our uh, radio family when it comes to our public affairs program. So, again, I want to welcome you and take this opportunity to welcome some of those who may just be joining us. You are listening to the weekend edition of Community Focus, heard right here on our Odyssey stations and always a great opportunity, radio family, to engage in conversation with members of our Community Focus family. Our newest one is the Congressional Black Caucus uh, Institute Executive Director, Vanessa Gradine jones Now, Vanessa, my next question to you is why did the CBCI choose North Carolina to do the ACT training? We had lots of requests, um, you know, from around the area. We'd done the training in Atlanta, um, and so we pulled in, you know, some of the surrounding cities in Atlanta. We had done New Orleans, and so one of our actual trainers is from uh, North Carolina. He said, are you just going to skip over us? <laughs> you don't know, right, you know, right. Say, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right North here. Carolina. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? Excellent point. You know, we have Congressman uh, G.K. Butterfield there. We've got Congresswoman Alma Adams. I mm-hmm. think I'm sure they will be supportive. So I said, absolutely, let's do North Carolina. And with that said, let's talk about the virtual training. It's it's coming up. It's actually taking place the week of Friday and Saturday, and this is May 21st and 22nd. How can applicants uh, still apply if they have the chance to do so? So we actually closed applications uh, last week but okay. because we had so much in enthusiasm from North Carolina, we yeah. decided to open them back up. Okay. So if you go to the website, uh, cbcinstitute.org, and click on North Carolina application, you can complete it by this Friday, and we are opening up a few more spots to consider. Okay. Now, the virtual training, do you have an exact time for this? Um, the virtual training, I'm sorry, I don't have the agenda in front okay, of me. That's it's fine. It's usually about 10 to 2 every day. Okay. Um, we tried to get in a full eight hours of training, but of course, we didn't expect anybody to sit in front of their computer for eight hours a day. Mm. Um, and again, it, the training is so much different in person yeah. um, because you get that interaction in, in person and, you know, you have right. everybody there with you. Um, so you don't realize that you've sat somewhere for eight hours when you're doing the exactly. training. Exactly. Right. Um, we've, <laughs> we've broken it up, you know, with a couple of breaks in between. Um, and the format has worked out well. Um, like mm-hmm. I said, we did one in August with the folks from Atlanta and I'm sorry, with folks from New Orleans. And then Mm -hmm. we just did one. um, We did New Orleans and Atlanta. I'm sorry. And then we just did a group um, in Mississippi and Alabama. (laughs) And so, um, you know, everybody is, that the training was great. We've mm-hmm. had a couple of people run for office um, in the last round, mm-hmm. and especially uh, last year during the Georgia elections when we mm-hmm. did uh, Atlanta and New Orleans in August. That gave uh, more people impetus to participate in, you know, turning Georgia blue. And not that we're partisan, but we, we like having Georgia blue. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Vanessa, with with that said, do do you recall just on average how many did you have in attendance in in those areas? Um, so in the virtual trainings, we've averaged about thirty. Okay. Um, in the in person trainings, mm-hmm. it's been in New Orleans. The first one was about seventy. Wow. <laughs> And Atlanta was about 70 as well. So, um, you know, again, even though you're not in there, we're still trying to create an environment where you're getting the information and having an opportunity to interact with the trainers and to ask questions. And Mm -hmm. so, you know. Had to make it a little smaller so that you still get, you know, the benefit of that. And, and speaking of training, Vanessa, and I thought you made such a valid point earlier in that, especially when we look at how we're doing really a lot more things in terms of training in that virtual format, because I, I can't I don't know about you, but I know for me, I had never heard of anything like go to meeting or Zoom. Now, I had heard of FaceTime and, and of course, being on social media with, with Facebook and, and Instagram, but, but not to the degree where you could actually have like a literal classroom setting. And then think of what parents had to do in making the adjustments <laughs> with their children when everything was on lockdown. And we were in quarantine. And so there was this whole new world of learning how to do things without literally being in a classroom setting. Yes. You know, they always say necessity is the mother of invention. Um, You know, I should have had stock in Zoom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you too, huh? <laughs> this was, this Absolutely. Was in my life, and I'm like, I, I cannot believe I'm sitting looking at a screen every day, and this is how I'm communicating. With right, people. exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, you know you what? Know, in in my line of work, it's a similar thing. I get to do it, except you know, it, for for me, it's it's music. It's it's looking <laughs> at music and and seeing what kind of commercials are going to be running for that particular hour. But who, like you said, who who knew we would ever get to this point? Well, speaking of that, how have you been able to adapt to this? extensive uh, training to a virtual format? You know, it was tough um, when we got the grant. Uh, you know, I met with the trainers and I talked to, you know, Walter's family. I said, you know, I don't I don't know how we do this in this right. format because yeah. this is really a kind of a hands-on in your face kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they said, well, you know, everybody's converting to Zoom and doing things virtually. And so I said, well, we can give it a shot. So, you right. know, I sat with the trainers. We went through the curriculum. We talked about, you know, well, I guess it's really no different. They're just not standing in front of us when mm-hmm. we do it. So, exactly. make it happen. Exactly. And, well, my it's final... It's bizarre. But yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know what? Even, even a year into it, I think we're still learning how to get used to it. I think the bigger question will be, especially as we're, we're slowly... In, in light of, of people getting vaccinated and, and slowly getting back into the workforce or with their kids getting back into the classroom, you know, it's, it's like it's readjusting to what we had been doing. And, and then Absolutely. here comes Zoom. And then now we're we're going back to some degree of normalcy. And it's just like, well, I think I kind of miss Zoom because I could do everything in the comfort of my home. It's like, you know, if I wanted to take a break and get a snack. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I have to physically get in a car and go to some place and eat. I could just go 20 feet to my kitchen and, and fix right. me a sandwich, you know. <laughs> I went to the office last week and I said, 
I, I don't think I remember how to get dressed. And right. I was like, no. <laughs> okay, so I, I, so I had to put on makeup today and yeah. comb my hair. I can't. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Vanessa, we're on the same page because I'm thinking like, okay, when we do presentations or when we have meetings with individuals from the waist up, yeah, we, we, we look professional, but from the waist down, I'm like, hey, nobody's going to know I got flip-flops on. Come on. <laughs> it was a struggle. It was a struggle. <laughs> exactly. And then when you go back to the office, it's like, oh, I have to actually put real shoes on. So... <laughs> But thank you for for letting me have a, a little moment of, of humor there. But to get back to the conversation and to, and to ask the final question of, of the morning, what else is the CBCI doing that our listeners should be aware of? So I mentioned before that we have an annual policy conference that's typically has been held in Tunica, Mississippi. Um, right now we're discussing having that uh, conference virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, but really focusing on two pressing issues, one, COVID in the African-American community and um, criminal justice reform and specifically police reform, Um, because we wanted to talk about, you know, living and dying while black is is really a public health crisis. Um, And then you've had these two pandemics converge at the same time. affecting us, our communities so greatly. And even though we've got a vaccine now, you know, it's it's still impacting us, you know, because communities, well, I shouldn't say communities, the media wants to say that we have uh, vaccine hesitancy. And um, CBCI is actually in a partnership with East Bay Community Foundation from California, who's in partnership with Kaiser to do an African-American outreach and education project that focused on, you know, the communities that were most greatly African-American communities in the South um, and in California that were most greatly impacted by COVID. And what we found is that none of that's true. We will take the vaccine, but it hasn't been made available to most of our communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we want to focus on, again, issues that impact our community and to give a clear view, um, an unbiased view of what that is. Um, I know uh, Mr. Thompson likes to say that I like controversial issues. So, you know, when I'm thinking about forming a panel for police reform, I want to have the police that's actually, you know, been a bad cop on the panel. Because I need him to tell me, what is it that you see when you see us? Right. Because I don't think unless we have real conversations about exactly. this, you know, that we're not ever going to get to a solution. Mm-hmm. But I, I, and I understand that it's difficult. It's not a pleasant place to be in. Mm-hmm. But you do see me differently. Yeah. And until we talk about why you see me differently and how you see me, then we're never going to get past this. And that's I mean, why it is. Exactly. Right now about with Andrew Brown and I'm like you know what happened in that moment mm-hmm. and you know I you know I don't want to get political and talk about that because I don't know what's going on in that case and clearly you all don't either because they won't tell you right. but you know we've got to have real conversations Absolutely. and we've had personal conversations mm-hmm. about all these issues yeah. and we continue to have cursory conversations about these issues and we need to get to the heart of it and talk to the people that are committing the issues and causing the problems as well as the people that they're causing them on um, you know, so 
we're going to have this conference. Um, and so, you know, please check out our website because we will have, you know, links to it for you to join because it like more than likely it will be via Zoom or, or some live broadcast. Again, you know, I'm old. I don't know what these things are. <laughs> you are <laughs> not alone, Vanessa, on that. You are definitely not alone. And thank you. I don't you. know what these things are, but just make it happen. Right, right. And thank you for saying that. Now, what what is the website for, for, for individuals that would like to get additional I'm information? Still just going to www. CBCinstitute.org, and we will have updates on events. Um, and so it'll probably more likely be a pop up that'll okay. tell you to register for uh, Tunica. Okay. Um, and uh, it, the Congressional Black Caucus is also um, a part of the United Nations um, Economic and Social Council. Mm-hmm. So we are focused on taking the message of, you know, there are African Americans involved in international affairs. Um, and so we found that out finally when the U.N. decided to speak out after George Floyd's um, shooting that um, they needed to address racism within their own body. Um, and so we are working on um, programming to address that, to, to increase the number of African-Americans um, in foreign affairs jobs, to increase the number of African, the awareness of the U.N. and the role that we play. You know, African-Americans were at the signing for the Charter of the United Nations. Um, so we're, we've been at the foundation and at the beginning of most things in America. Um, and it's just time that people know that and that we take our full place at the table and that our voices are heard. Um, we also have a um, 21st Century Business Council that is comprised of the heads of government relations for over, I think there's about 60 companies now. Um, and most people don't know that there are black people heading those organizations. Um, and so they produce an annual report of policy recommendations that um, are seen by members of Congress for things that affect African-Americans um, and then, you know, America as a whole for their particular industries. Um, so we're working on lots of things, just making sure that we keep African-Americans and community of colors, uh, community of color informed. And that you are. And Vanessa, I really appreciate you taking out the time because I know you have a very busy schedule on a daily basis. But thank you for bringing the conversation here as well as the issues to help individuals make informed decisions here on the weekend edition of Community Focus. So family, it is good to have a chance to to get to know the Vanessa Gradine Jones. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Renee. Absolutely. Listen, you family now. That that means something here <laughs> in, in the world of radio. And so hopefully this won't be the, the only conversation that we have, perhaps on, on other subject matter. But again, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate you. And well, yes, we have to continue this. Yes, Absolutely. Well, thank you too, Radio Family, and definitely to say in regards to the good things that you are doing in our communities, please keep up the good work as well. You have been listening to the weekend edition of Community Focus. Vanessa Gradine jones joins me, Renee Vaughn, and I thank you, Radio Family, for joining us as we bring another weekend edition of Community Focus to a close. Stay safe and remember, and, and Vanessa, I share this with all of our Radio Family, there are no goodbyes, just until next time. So until that next time, thank you, radio family. Enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of this weekend. Take care.